0: Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crang. All right, I love bringing you stories of people who have empowered themselves and thrown off the, the, the barriers that government puts in front of them. And this is just one of my all-time favorite stories. And it comes from the great state of Iowa. My guest today is Drew Klein. Drew is the state director of Americans for Prosperity in Iowa and a good friend. Drew, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this is uh, this is I mean, you've done a lot of great things in Iowa and, and you know, we'll have you back on to talk about that sometime but this is one of the most empowering stories I've ever heard, and it's the story of of a person who who got found through social media, which which we're going to talk about that the the, the interesting aspect of that, but who was meeting up against these barriers imposed by the by the state of Iowa on on their business, and you coming together with the citizen and helping break that barrier. It's just a it's a great story. It's the story of William Burt and his business Cut Kings, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Okay, so tell the, let's talk about how this
1: story came about first of all. Sure. Well, in my role with Americans for Prosperity, we fight a lot of policy battles in the in the state of Iowa. We work on, you know, taxes and and healthcare issues and education and and regulatory issues, and what we're always looking to do is to find examples, find real world examples of the impact of the policies that that we're working on, uh, and, and we, we're trying to just create that narrative constantly of like this is this is what the the current state is. This is this is why we should be unsatisfied with where we are. And as part of that, you know, we're, we're looking for stuff that we can share on social media, whatever it is, and. Uh, the the guy on my team that you know that we had kind of given that role of like hey go go find these stories help us tell that uh, you know kind of paint that narrative stumbled across this story out of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier uh, of a man who was attempting to start a mobile barber shop um, and was was blocked by the definition of what a barbershop was in the state of Iowa. And we're like, you know, some of those, the best stories in regulation are the ones that are just absurd on their face. And (laughs) and this is an example of that. Right. Um, and you know, so we didn't think anything of it. We shared it on social media. You know, I'm, I'm sure we had a really you know pithy little comment like, "This is this is the intelligence of government regulation." You know, we're, we're stopping a guy from conducting you know business in, as a mobile barber shop. Uh, meanwhile, the state allows you to you know have mobile grooming for dogs, and obviously you've got food trucks. You've got all of these these other things that we allow businesses to be mobile. But evidently. You can't cut hair, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in a mobile So setting. it's just At an least out, that outright was,
0: yeah. provision or a prohibition, I mean,
1: on yeah. Now a the, mobile the, barbershop? Now, Iowa Code never said, like, you can't cut hair in a mobile barbershop. It just it provided a definition of what a barbershop was gotcha. in Iowa Code right. that, you know, precluded a, a mobile barbershop.
0: Yeah. And so someone was was implementing this and and saying you can't. Actually do this?
1: Yeah, and that that's actually the, the story starts to get sad really fast. I mean, William is a guy who you know, just a just a huge heart. And so he saw a need in his community, saw, saw people in his community, and, and some of this was even reflecting on his own background that just didn't have the means to make it to a barbershop. You know, whether right. it was the financial means or um, you know, we met some of his clients that were wheelchair bound or whatever it was. Like they just weren't going to make it to a brick and mortar shop to come sit in a traditional barbershop. So shop. he bought he bought a van. So, right. So he bought a used transit van um, with a wheelchair lift, uh, and I believe he bought it in the state of Tennessee. Drove it home gutted the interior of this thing, remade it uh, into a barbershop. And as he's going through this, he's working with you know, mentors and kind of the Small Business Association and different folks. And, and one of them one day just kind of calls him out of the blue and says, William, we, we kind of caught this flag. We don't know if Iowa law allows you to do this. And that was, was kind of the brakes just being pumped on, on his business and, and on his dreams of, of being able to go out and meet that need in the community.
0: So tell us a little bit before we continue with this story. Tell us a little bit about William Burt. Yeah. Tell us his background and
1: yeah, William is a, is a phenomenal guy who's who's packed a lot of life into <laughs> uh, into his years. As you know, we all know people who have done that. He, he's actually a native of Mississippi, but grew up you know very poor. Um, you know, had a had a rough childhood. Was was being raised by a single mother. Um, you know was in contact several times throughout his his youth with um, the the justice system, you know, ended up being incarcerated several times, actually learned barbering while he was incarcerated. That's where where he picked up uh, a, a set of clippers for the first time. And, and you know, he, he tells a story that, like, he didn't just pick up a, a set of clippers and continue to do it because he was bored in prison. He fell in love with barbering and in, in, in prison. Because it was a way for him to connect with the other guys that he was incarcerated with, in a way that, that he just didn't, you know, when he was sitting across from a table or or, or right. visiting in other ways, and and uh, and and perfected the craft. You know, while in prison, which opens up a whole nother line of of questioning about well, why do we force people to go to barbering college if guys can get proficient at this through sure. practice in prison? Right. But you know, right. we'll, we'll skip over that uh, for for this episode. Uh, but but that is that is where he was, and so he was in and out of of prison and and got out, and and he actually tells a story in a really impactful way. One of his children was visiting while he was incarcerated um and, and the, just the boldness of his son to say dad you tell me that you love me um but if if you loved me you'd be here with me and, and so the next time william got out of prison like that that was the message that really stuck in his mind that that resonated and he knew that he had to find something uh, some way to, to stay free, to, to stay right. in society. And, and thankfully, he picked up this barbering skill while he was incarcerated, and that became kind of his ticket to, to freedom. That was how he was going to provide for himself and for his kids and, and, and live a productive life in society rather than the you know, I mean, full disclosure, he, he had been dealing drugs and, and he owns all of this and, and says, you know, I was I was meeting, you know, f- the the physical needs of my family, but I was doing damage to the community around me. And, and he has this great perspective on life now that's, mm-hmm. that's come out right. of that. So so Barbering really became like his his gateway to to maintain his freedom and, and stay, you know, stay in society. Yeah.
0: So he gets out of prison. Yeah. Essentially, turns his life around through that revelation that he's not there for his kids. Yep, right, and um, and and goes into business, tries to be a productive member of society, make a living, and provide for his family.
1: Yeah, and I'll provide a few more details. So he gets yeah. out. He's he's learned barbering. He's he's been performing the the function and the service of barbering. But actually, he gets out and he goes to barbering college because, despite the fact that he's been cutting people's hair for several years at this point, the state says he has to go get a barbering of course, license. Of course, and, right? Okay. So, so he does that. So he does that. But he also, at the same time. Um, you know, starts taking classes again at the University of Northern Iowa, and he, he gets himself a a four year a bachelor's degree as well um, in in business, and and uh, actually today he holds a master's degree as well. And, wow! Um, yeah, you know, so he's he's an incredible guy. Just the the resilience, the tenacity to to really you know get after life and redeem you know, redeem the opportunities that he has in front of him.
0: And I'm going to have William Bird on. I want to make sure that we have we'll get him, William Bird on, on on the show. Okay, so now he does, he has this great idea. Yeah. This entrepreneurial idea, right? Of well, why don't I have a mobile barbershop because uh, some of my customers can't can't easily get to my to a barbershop. Yeah. And he goes out, invests his capital, buys the van, fits the van, and finds out there's a prohibition on it from
1: the state of Iowa. Yeah. And so what happens is we <laughs> we um, so so just, you know, the, the function, the, the structure of, of state government in Iowa. Williams, a state representative, hears about this, probably sees the exact same story that we saw in the Water, uh, Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier um, and introduces a bill to change the definition of a, of a barbershop. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he's a he's a member of the minority party and, and structurally, like oftentimes, you know, those are bills that just don't get seen. They, they get mm-hmm. overlooked. Uh, we saw the bill um, and, and started asking questions. And then a, a companion bill popped up um, in the Senate as well and, it, you know, had had enough traction. We, we went and, and, you know, again, just started kind of digging into the story, you know, What's this look like? You know, how how could we be involved? Um, And and we get to a point where there's going to be a subcommittee held on this piece of legislation. Uh, But we're still kind of in this phase where we're trying to gather information. But we've never met William. We really don't have much of a presence in Waterloo at this point. All we have is this story in a newspaper. um, And and we go back and we look at it. And there's a picture of, of his mobile barbershop in the story. And it has his phone number on the side. And so I I look at one of my colleagues and I say, Tyler, just call him. Just call him. Let's let's hear his story. Um, And from there, that's really where our relationship with William kicked off. And we got to hear – you know, just the, the full backstory, stuff that wasn't, you know, wasn't in that first news article, uh, but it was really an opportunity for us to invite him to, to come actually be a part of this fight that was happening in Des Moines that, that really was happening separately from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly would have benefited him, but he was not directly plugged into that to that policy battle um, in the way that, that we really knew he needed to be in order to impact change.
0: Yeah, so, so talk about that. Talk about Americans for Prosperity's role— In getting William uh, connected and and equipped right with the tools necessary
1: to have an impact. Yeah, well, I I suspect suspect that a lot of your listeners are are already fairly plugged into what's going on politically in in their community, you know, state level, federal, whatever it is. That's not the norm in every community, and it's not the norm for for every American. And William, I think, is a is a great example of that. He's trying to live his life. He doesn't know what's happening in Des Moines. And and quite frankly, as a guy who who loves the the concepts of limited government, I want more Americans to be able to live that way, where they don't have to worry about what their government is doing. But this was a case where – he had the opportunity to, to get directly plugged into a fight that was impacting his life. And that's that's really what we see as kind of our mission, you know, at the at the state level with Americans for Prosperity, and certainly, you know, in, in other ways as well, is to, to connect Iowans to the policy fights that are impacting their lives. And so uh, it wasn't just kind of this this one-off call where you say, hey, William, there's this bill that would, you know, change the, the trajectory or unlock some opportunity for your business idea. You should come down here. It was a Hey we we want to find ways to not just get you plugged into this fight but to get your whole community you know plugged into your fight as well not just the the guy whose vision it was to to operate the mobile barbershop but the the people that would benefit From that mobile barbershop as well, you know, we we look at businesses. It needs to be mutually beneficial. It's not just beneficial for the guy who who makes money off of the business, but also for the people who who willingly seek those services to meet the needs in their lives as well. And so, we wanted more people in his community to get involved in in this as well, Um, and, and not just for the sake of changing a single piece of legislation, but to really. Um, kind of broaden the the horizon and open people's eyes that this is an opportunity they had to to address the barriers in their lives as well. It's not just a mobile barbershop; it's it's whatever other regulatory issue um, you know popped up in the community. And actually, through through being in Waterloo and and just you know simple stuff, going out to eat lunch with William, we started to hear other little things like that in the community that that were just absurd regulations that were standing in the way of people being profitable and and you know. Having their businesses. Give me a
0: couple. Give me a couple examples. Yeah, my
1: my favorite one is we were we were going out to lunch one day. We 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 went to this little barbecue joint in Waterloo, and it's a small little kind of hole in the wall barbecue place. Great food, as is generally the case. The smaller the barbecue restaurant, the better the barbecue. That's that's kind of a general axiom I think that we can live our lives by. (laughs) Uh, But there were literally 19 seats in the dining room. Uh, Most of them were like high top seats at kind of bar top. Um, you know, counters ar- around the, the dining room. And so, William introduces me to the owner of this business, and, and we kind of talk about what we're doing and, and some things like that. He's like, Oh, let me give you some examples of the absurd <laughs> regulations that I deal with. Um, and so, he starts off by saying that, um, that they only have one bathroom makes sense. They can only serve 19 customers maximum at a time. And it's not like they have a team of 10 employees at a time. So Mm -hmm. one bathroom is more than sufficient to meet the needs of their business. But in the state of Iowa at the time, because they only had one bathroom, uh, state regulation said they couldn't hold a, a beer or liquor license. In order to hold a beer or liquor license in the state of Iowa, you had to have both a male and a female bathroom. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure logically how those two things well, are connected at all, but, um, but I also know a little bit about how like the restaurant industry works, and, and beer and liquor sales are one of the biggest profit drivers of a restaurant. And this guy, because he operates a small restaurant that only has one bathroom, doesn't have the opportunity to do that. And we're like, well, this is, that's silly. Well, it doesn't
0: make sense to you or I, but to an an Iowa bureaucrat, it did make sense. <laughs> perfect yeah, sense, perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and, and so that was another one. Like we, right. we came back to the legislature, we started talking to our friends in the legislature, like, oh, that's stupid. Well, well let's just fix that. <laughs> and so we we actually had a bill filed on that one and the department of inspections and appeals stepped in and said no 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 don't pass the bill we'll just fix it we'll just eliminate oh, that good. regulation well, so good. Uh, so there were there were other things like that that, yeah, that popped out but i amazing. also want i also want your listeners to forever be changed by what they see in bathrooms did you know that like if if you roll into or if, you know walk into a bathroom and you see kind of a commercial sink no cabinet underneath it so the plumbing is exposed underneath there you'll notice that all of them have the pipes under the sink insulated yes right Never thought about it. That this barbecue uh, restaurant owner told me that he's required to insulate the pipe under the sink in his bathroom because of the hypothetical situation <laughs> in which a you know a customer in a wheelchair might roll in, use the restroom. They they finish doing their business. They roll themselves over to the sink. They turn the the water on. Obviously, we know that it's it's more hygienic to wash your hands with hot water. It kills more bacteria. But that could also lead to a scenario in which the pipes under the sink get so hot that you might burn somebody's <laughs> leg, so we have to insulate the pipes oh under my the goodness. sink. Really? That, that's a, that is why restaurants and, and commercial establishments, businesses, are required to insulate the pipes under their sink.
0: That's the and dumbest I'm, thing I've ever I'm heard. I'm
1: thinking – how hot is your water heater set <laughs> yeah, and how right. long is the customer leaving right. the water running that you would burn your skin right. with a drain pipe? With a like, P-trap on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. it's, yeah. That's incredible. That's so so you know, for your listeners, every time you walk into a commercial bathroom, like, you need to look at these things. <laughs> well, now you've got,
0: I'm going to have to look now every you, time. You will
1: never, you will never thanks, see them the, the same again. Thanks for that, Drew.
0: <laughs> that's going to revolutionize my life. That's okay. right. So so let's get back to so that's amazing though that you discovered all of these other stupid regulations but let's get back to to Mr. Burt yeah. and and how you plugged him in and the process of getting this this law changed
1: yeah so unfortunately that that first legislative session where the bills were introduced they they didn't go anywhere um and some of that is we just hadn't really built a sufficient um you know a sufficient operation a sufficient case for the legislature to to do things. And again, I'm a limited government guy. I don't want, you know, the legislature going out of their way to, to pass laws to solve non-existent problems. And, and so I can appreciate that the process moves slow at times. Um, and, you know, but, but we weren't willing to, to quit on the idea. I mean, at this point, William, not only does the idea make sense, but it also is just a, a perfect example of what it is that we're trying to do in in government and in the institution of government and, and in communities as well. And so we started making, you know, regular trips to to Waterloo, not just to, to talk and plan and 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 kind of you know work through the process of how we were gonna come back and take another run at this in the next legislative session, but we started hosting events with with members in his community to talk about uh, you know To to start out with, you know, baseline just to get their impressions on, you know, state government and and you know how things worked around them, what what their experience and and their involvement with the political system in general was, um, which was eye opening because again, this was a community that we hadn't been a part of, Mm -hmm. um, and and we also didn't want to you know just step in and start calling shots. We we needed to hear from them and and really understand kind of where where they were at in this process as well and then that gave us the opportunity to to ask them what you know what would be helpful um, and, and start to find ways. And so we we did basic things like you know we take it for granted that we talk to our legislators and that we we lobby our legislators. We attend forums. We we do these types of things. We um, you know maybe we get an activist to write a letter to the editor or whatever that looks like. Um, but that was not really on the on the radar for this community. And so, so we started talking to them about how do you tell your story in an impactful way? How do you impact your legislature? How do you what, what does that process even look like? And and then. You know, by the time we got back to the next legislative session, we started inviting them to come to Des Moines with us come come see your capital come speak at a subcommittee come you know ask your legislator to, to come out of the chamber and talk to you about what you care about and what's important to you as well and that was really the session that that we started to, to really see big movement um and, and and we built that case you know through through this community telling their own story uh, it got it got more press coverage it got more earned media and and so it almost just became this snowball and and so to the extent that there was an interest group or or somebody that wanted to step in the way of it is like, well, you know, you're now stepping in front of an avalanche instead of <laughs> instead sure. of a snowball. And that was really kind of the magic of of tapping in not to, you know, just to us doing our jobs as, as lobbyists, but tapping into a community community that was going to make this bigger than just one person in their fight right. or, or even one community in their fight. Because then you start getting, you know, rural lawmakers to start realizing, well, actually, you know what? The barbershop in my community is closed as well. Like this, this could help in rural Iowa. Right. Um, and, and you start to see the, the possibilities and and even more so it gave us the opportunity to to, again, start to highlight these other absurdities in in the regulatory code and and just things that didn't make sense where we were putting up artificial barriers for no other reason than to protect the status quo. Mm-hmm.
0: As, as this was was happening, did you see, and I haven't asked you this question before we started, but did you see a change in in William in like the way he was presenting this and, and just in maybe even his confidence level to start moving around in these circles, which I'm sure he was very unfamiliar with?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, again, I, I if we go back in the story a ways, you know, William has been in and out of of the justice system. He's he's you know has some felonies on his record, and so at this point in his life, William has never even cast a ballot. He's never voted because he, under Iowa law, he doesn't sure. have the the ability to. Yes, um, he's he's you know lost his right to vote. Is is you know we we talk about the loss of citizenship rights, you know, with with a felony, and so at this point, he is completely on the outside of, of this system. Um, and so there's a lot of education, but, but he's, I mean, like, like I said, he's, he's a very intelligent, you know, intelligent, well-educated. I mean, he's got a, he's, He's got, a, he's got a, a professional license that required a lot of education. He's got um, a, a four-year degree through the University of Northern Iowa. He's working on a master's degree. He's got all of these things going on. I mean, he's a very intelligent guy, but this is just a world that, that he's not lived in and operated in. And I think the other thing that, that changed substantially is he started seeing this as a fight that was bigger than just himself. Um, I think oftentimes we do this in our own lives as well as we see you know just the, the barrier that's right in front of us. And we don't always recognize that this is probably a barrier that, that lots of other people are dealing with or a barrier that's very similar to the ones that, that other people are dealing with. And so – you know, I think he started to realize that that this was something that was going to unlock opportunity and potential for a lot of other, you know, a lot of other people in the state of Iowa. And and, and again, like the the power of a story like Williams is, I think it's reverberated outside of Iowa as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly, as we've had an opportunity to share his story, but we've also, you know, had the opportunity to to get him plugged in on you know uh, entrepreneurial panels in in states like Minnesota and and you know surrounding states that that started to hear about this. Um, and and to address you know maybe not the specific issue that he came up against but the broader idea that like don't don't just let the barrier be what stops you like you, you gotta you gotta press through those things
0: yeah did you meet opposition what was the opposition I mean obviously there was some opposition to passing this legislation
1: yeah yeah well and and I think some of sometimes you know status quo holds its own inertia yeah. Is, yeah. is a lot right. of it. But I think you you run into, you know, just the the folks that operate well in the status quo. So you have your your standard, you know, beauty shops, cosmetology shops, barbershops, yeah. whatever it is, to say, well, that's not fair because X, Y, or Z. Yeah, well, and he's gonna and, have a competitive advantage right. over me if you allow him to operate in a mobile barbershop. And you have you know, you you also have just kind of this big nanny state mentality as well. It's like, well, is this safe? Is it safe for him to, I mean, we literally heard people talk about like, could this be a front for human trafficking? He's like, no, he wants to cut hair. Yeah, like, right.
0: he's, he's to, if he's human trafficking, we'll arrest him for yeah, human Yeah, there are laws that yeah. address human
1: trafficking. Right. Like, you know, so it, it was just, again, I, I, you never really understand the full intention of why somebody is opposing you, mm-hmm. but you get to hear the absurd arguments. But you had, made, but, but yeah, you sure. literally had sure.
0: some of the other interests, some of the people who are already in the market. Yeah, Um, Yeah, of course. And and wanted to keep a competitive advantage. Like Great Clips isn't going to start a mobile barber service because it doesn't fit their business model. They're making plenty of money doing it the way they're doing it. They don't want competition, so they're using this regulatory system to keep competition out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amazing. So let's continue.
1: So we got the bill passed, right? Bill's passed. Uh, it passed unanimously, which you know you you think about kind of the the environment that we operate in. You know, bipartisanship is hard to come by, and and even you know things like regulatory fights, like they've they've somehow you know become divisive in different ways. This passes unanimously in the second year that the the bill is introduced, and, and you know that in of itself is is pretty phenomenal. Like generally, like there's a. There's a life cycle on on big policy change or even small policy change. It takes time to socialize those ideas and and build the case. But year two, that bill is introduced, passes unanimously. Um, You know, William is at the Capitol. You know, William's community, his family is there. They get to speak in subcommittees. They, um, you know, William, actually, that that year is recognized during the governor's condition of the state address, Uh, you know, just Talking about, you know, Iowa being a place that's open and welcoming to entrepreneurs and and how little things like these, you know, start to accumulate and and they they form those big regulatory barriers that that ultimately send the message of it's just too hard. There's too much. We're just not gonna do it. Um, and I think that is that is, you know, maybe the biggest stifling factor that, that stops people from starting businesses, stops people from from innovating and and looking for ways to go out and meet the needs in the community around them. And so many people meet these barriers and they 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 don't
0: take the next step that William took, right? It's almost just easier like yeah. to just say, okay, well then I won't go open the mobile barbershop, right? Yeah. And just I'll just do it the way I'm doing it. But think Thank God that William pushed forward and and joined up with Americans for Prosperity and and got this through. How, how, on some of the other terrible dumb regulations that you saw, are you and you've worked on some of those? Some of them, it
1: sounds like you yeah. already got. Got changed. Yeah, the pipes are still being insulated, but you <laughs> thank know, you- well, thank God. Let's just be honest. Thank God that the pipes are still being insulated. <laughs> you, yeah, your your legs are safe from the horrors of uninsulated bathroom drain pipes. Uh, but yeah, no, the the barbecue restaurant now you can you can go in and and yeah. order an icy cold beer to go with your rack of ribs at the the barbecue joint in Waterloo. You know, things like that where we've been able to elevate that, but it's also um, you know just maybe maybe this sounds small but the fact that there's now maybe 50 60 people in Waterloo that realize they have a voice and the ability yes. to, to speak into and impact you know what's going on in their community and state government that you know not really necessarily through the actions of anybody before but just the lack of action. They they didn't realize that before, um, and and you know so we've been able to to continue to maintain that relationship with William. He's got the mobile barbershop. It, it honestly today operates more as a nonprofit function um, because he's separately started his own brick and mortar barbershop, um, and and has other barbers that have come in that he's mentoring, and and they're they're starting to operate in his business. And then he's also taking them on the road for some of the nonprofit stuff. We did a we did a back to school event a couple of years ago in, in Waterloo, or I guess just last fall, really, um, and. You know, as part of that, we, we were in a in a low income part of, of town, and so we were providing school supplies, um, talking about our perspective on on foundational education issues, and then William brought in himself and two other barbers and gave free haircuts for wow. four hours. That's great. Um, you know, so that and this is something that again I just didn't recognize, but in you know in his community in the black community. Having a fresh haircut is a big deal um, and, and, you know, is a huge confidence boost and, and really speaks to the dignity of the individuals. And so, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but, you know, 100 kids got to go to their first day of school with a fresh haircut that wow. wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to yeah. do that. Um, and again, it wasn't just the bus that was illegal. It was all mobile barbering. He would not have been able to provide those services uh, if it weren't for the change in the law. What an
0: amazing story. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's an amazing story of of William and overcoming these government imposed barriers that are out there. But but we've just told the ice cream part of the story. We haven't put the cherry on the top yet, and I wanted to talk to you about that. His life changed because of his involvement in this too, right? The governor recognized him in a
1: way and and did something really special there too yeah so yeah i I touched on on this or or maybe danced around it a little bit throughout this episode but you know again uh a felony conviction in iowa is is a loss of citizenship you you lose your right to vote and and there's a process to have those restored Um, but that was something that that we started you know it's just one of those ideas, I guess, that, that popped up. You know, my deputy and I were kind of talking about, you know, William and the fight and and all of these different things. And and it just kind of occurred to me, you know, like William didn't even get to vote for his state representative, who's going to be voting on this law as a state senator, uh, any of those things. And, and we should ask him if he's ever considered applying to have his rights restored. Uh, and so – Tyler called him. Tyler's the the guy that's been, you know, working with William, you know, very closely. I you know, I'm I'm doing this from a distance and and but Tyler is not just working with William, Tyler and William are, are friends now. I mean they, mm-hmm. they talk. Sure. Yeah. You know, Tyler drives two hours because he wants to to go get his hair cut in Waterloo by William. <laughs> um, like these these guys are are friends. I mean, this is this is more than just a you know transactional you know, relationship to, to change a law in Iowa, and so so Tyler calls William, and says, "William, do you have the right to vote?" And I, I think it kind of caught William off guard. He goes, "I don't think so." Um, he goes, "But you don't you don't know? Like, have have you ever applied to have your your rights restored?" And he goes, "No. How do you do that?" And he said, <laughs> "Okay, well, let me. We'll just we'll send you the form." Um, and so, you know, he, he fills out the form. We get it turned back in. Um and, and we're going through this this process and um and so we're we're with William one day and admittedly like you know we're we're kind of excited about this we're now pretty emotionally invested in this and and so we wanted to be there and so so we coordinated this with with some of the governor's staff and, yes. and said you know we. We want to be there when you call William to let him know that you're restoring his rights, and she's 100% on board with this. In yeah. fact, this is something that she just thinks is is dumb that we're automatically disenfranchising people, you know, for life for all felony convictions. There's, right? You know, obviously, a wide array of, of things that you know that will earn you a felony, um, and and so she's on board with this, you know, from the outset. But especially given, you know. What William's doing, I mean, she, she knows his story. She's seen his involvement. I mean, this is a guy who's who's more involved civically at this point than 90 percent of the population. But he doesn't get to vote. Sure. In the elections. And so, um, yeah, we're sitting around in the barbershop with him one day, the, the day that we know Governor Reynolds is going to be calling him. And uh, so his phone starts ringing. You know, I had received a text a couple minutes earlier, like, hey, we're, we're about you know, she's about to make the <laughs> phone call. And he just ignores it. We're like, what do you do? He's like, I don't know that number. Right, <laughs> like, William, answer the phone. <laughs> and he looks at us, I was like, answer the phone, William. <laughs> and so he answers it and uh she goes, William, this is Governor Kim Reynolds. And he doesn't he doesn't buy it. Like he's like, no. <laughs> no. It's a, it's a scam. He literally says, Governor Kim Reynolds? And she goes, Yeah. He goes, Oh. Well, hi, Governor. (laughs) He's like, this can't. This has got to be a prank, right? Um, Right. And uh, you know, unfortunately, now he he doesn't like this part of the story. But you know, this was this was huge for him. I mean, something that that I don't think he even realized how much he he valued it. But but the message that it sends to be able to restore somebody's rights to. Um, to not only invite them into the the process to fight you know on the on the policy front but to, to restore their rights and and really speak to to their dignity to their um to their identity as a as a citizen again to restore that um it has had you know has had a big impact and again not just on him but I mean this is a guy who has has kids who has grandkids I mean that we're talking you know likely generational change from from just a mindset perspective right. on, on their their potential their potential power to impact the world around them um, and it, it was incredible to to be there for that and company. i've seen the video of it. yes i mean certainly. he got very emotional yeah and that's that's the part he doesn't like you, you know in fact he criticizes us on on the video of the, <laughs> the story that we're telling he goes man i gotta i gotta film here you know film crew here <laughs> right. you know filming me crying yeah and uh, uh you know and I, Thankfully, the 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 cameras weren't on us, so right. we can say that we were not crying. Yeah, um, it was just William. He was, was one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he should. But, but it really was. I mean, just a, just a, an incredibly powerful moment, not to, just to change his life, but to to change you know really uh, untold lives around him as well.
0: Yeah, such a great story. I mean, for him personally, for 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 the governor, for Americans, for prosperity, Iowa. But, but for average American citizens to see that story – and I guess that's, that's how I'll end this is with that question. I mean th- this is a powerful story about how people can, can come and partner with Americans for Prosperity to, to do amazing things like this and to literally not just change their life but the lives of many others around them. Y- your thoughts on how people should, should embrace that and get involved in what they can do to make a difference?
1: Yeah, I think one is we have to, you know, we have to make sure that we're operating you know, from, from the right assumptions. And that is that, that humans are capable of incredible things, um, regardless of where they came from, what their background is, you know, the, the mistakes that they've made in life. Every human is capable of greatness. Um, right. And that is, a, that, that is a story that's not unique to William. I mean, William's a, an incredible guy, special guy, but he's not unique. Um, everybody has the ability to, to do that, to, to pursue their own greatness, to make a decision to not be limited by the barriers around them, but to to, to instead be great. And we don't do that on our own. Um, you know, thankfully, AFP was there to, to you know just kind of stumble into this case. Um, but but when we work together, when we when we find these these partners uh, to to pursue you know that that greatness together with, uh, again, we're we're unlocking human potential um, in in small fights and large fights alike. and and you know AFP is an incredible place to be able to do that. So
0: true. And Drew, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to tell this amazing story. I mean, you guys invested a lot of time and effort. I'm sure this was a labor of love for you. Very rewarding. Yeah, very rewarding. Um, something that you can be incredibly proud of. But I'm sure William Burt is, deep down inside, he's probably very, very proud of of getting involved and in, in doing this. He should be. He yeah, should be. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, um, if – If you're listening to this story and you're thinking, man, how can I do something? There's an injustice going on in my community or there's a barrier that needs to be broken. uh, Something holding me back from reaching my full potential or my neighbor reaching their full potential. And you think, how can I get involved? I need you to either go to the Americans for Prosperity website. You You can certainly do that. You can go to AmericanPotential.com, which is the website here. But you can also send me an email, Jeff at AmericanPotential.com. And if you will send me that email, I will make sure to get you hooked up with someone in your state at Americans for Prosperity who can help you break that barrier. Uh, Just like Drew and his team in Iowa worked with William Burt to break the barriers. Uh, that, that were imposed upon him. This is a great story. There's going to be many, many more on future editions of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.